grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. You may be seated. For the sermon this week, I'm going to do something I don't normally do. Um, you know, I'm here uh, covering for Pastor Thorson because he and his family um, are uh, in quarantine, and they're all doing fine, by the way. Um, I uh, found out already by midweek that I was coming, but I also had my own board of directors meeting this week. So um, what I've done is, um, the, well, when similar situations like this existed in our past as a Lutheran church, uh, the founder of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Center, one of the founders, C.F.W. Walther, was a prolific preacher, and uh, uh, a lot of his sermons were put into books, and then, um, you know, if a situation existed like this, or maybe a on the frontier, the circuit pastor didn't make it, or they didn't have a pastor, one of the elders might take one of these books and just find the, what's the sermon for the second Sunday after Epiphany and read that sermon uh, to the congregation, or people did that in their homes. So I have a sermon from C.F.W. Walther for the second Sunday after Epiphany from over 150 years ago that still has some relevance today. Um, I did uh, alter it some so that we won't be here for all day like they would have been back then. Um, and uh, updating some language, but I just wanted to share with you uh, words from, from our, uh, one of our forefathers in the faith on the occasion of this day. And he found that when um, he arrived at this, this text, the text um, back then they would read the gospel and the epistle reading in the service, the two same readings that we had today, um, and he decided to focus on marriage um, using the story of the wedding at Cana. So I'm going to read uh, Walther's words, or preach, uh, Walther's words to you, and so uh, let's do that. Uh, in our Savior, dear Christian friends, God instituted marriage for the temporal and eternal well-being of man. While man was still first in paradise in the garden, God wanted to establish the first family bond. God said then, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him, Genesis 2.18. And after God had completed his work, he himself led the first bride to the first groom, he himself pronounced the benediction on this final pair. David says to every married couple, you shall be blessed and it shall be well with you. Psalm 128.2 And if we question those who have been married, what would we find? Unfortunately, not a few think back with regret to that hour when at the altar of the Lord they so joyfully gave the promise of faithfulness unto death. At first they hurried to make that vow like it was... A, First, they hurried to make that vow that like an indissoluble bond of love that they thought was so lovely and so blessed that this could never be taken away. And scarcely was it made when, lo, aversion, regret, and despondency filled their hearts. The honeymoon was hardly ended when it seemed as though their sweet dream was shattered by a bitterful, bitter, painful awakening. They think the wonderful dawn of the first days of my marriage, I interpreted it as the beginning of a beautiful, happy life. Alas, it was only the forerunner of gloom and sorrow. If countless married people do not say it, they at least think, oh, if I had never taken this step. Oh, if I could only return. Oh, if I could only be free again. Now my life's happiness is sold forever. Tell me, how come? First, Satan often meddles without a person suspecting it. Many could still be so happy, but they consider their marriage an unhappy one because of Satan's meddling. Marriage is God's ordinance. 
Satan, the enemy of human, un, of human happiness, hinders the happy progress of this blessed institution. He often attacks Christians, concealing the good things and the blessings of God which they enjoy or could still enjoy. Even a Christian has to arm himself daily with God's word and with prayer that he does not become unthankful and misunderstand the fatherly guidance of God in his marriage. That so many have not yet found peace of soul in Christ is undoubtedly another cause of, for so many unhappy marriages. They seek in marriage happiness and rest for their empty hearts, yet whoever seeks this in marriage seeks in vain. Even marriage can never sanctify the, or satisfy the yearning heart of man. A person must be saved in Christ and in his grace. If a person has acquired this treasure, then his married life will also become a quiet, peaceful, and happy one. Yes, the less a Christian seeks his happiness in his marriage, but in Christ alone, the happier his marriage will be. Finally, many do not know from God's word how they should begin, conduct, and view their marriage. Many begin and conduct it without God. Hence, they can expect to be unhappy and unblessed. On the other hand, others who do enter this state with God think that a happy marriage has no troubles. They want their spouse to be free from weakness and frailties and their married life to be without cross and without trouble. They do not bear in mind that in this life, nothing, nothing is perfect except God's word and grace. They do not bear in mind that no one has ever found a perfect spouse. They do not bear in mind that in every other relation, they would have to bear still other, if not the same, frailties of their spouse. They do not bear in mind that as the other partner must bear their frailties, they also are obliged to bear his. They really do not bear in mind that here God guides us from imperfection to eternal perfection, from frail union to perfect communion in heaven, from suffering to joy, from trouble to heaven, and from tears to eternal laughter. However, my friends, marriage is far too important to skip studying it in the light of the divine word. Since today's gospel on the marriage of Cana invites us to view marriage as God sees it, let us accept his invitation. And here Walter would have then read the text from John 2, which we've already read, so you can refer to that in your bulletin if you wish. The gospel reading of the marriage at Cana gives us occasion to direct our attention to the state of marriage. Marriage appears to be a secular matter and not for the church to consider, but we must consider that for a Christian, all earthly relationships have a higher meaning. And there is a relationship between the kingdom of God and between his soul's salvation. There's a relationship between the kingdom of God and his soul's salvation. The word of God must shed its light on marriage. A Christian is very much in need of instruction on marriage from God's word. Of course, Christians should be in the world, but not of the world. And they should do earthly things, not with an earthly, but with a heavenly mind. Perhaps many suppose that instruction in marriage is profitable only for a part of the Christian congregation. But he who is not yet married can, only, can be kept only through the word of God to enter it someday in a way pleasing to God. And he who never marries will find that everything in the word of God benefits everyone if only they pay attention to it. Reason can in some measure recognize the honor of marriage. Even reason tells us that without marriage, all mankind would sink to the level of animals. On the other hand, through this indissoluble union, the whole human race 
has received countless blessings. If there were no marriage, the whole fallen human race would be given to the lusts of the flesh in all uncleanness. Marriage, however, plants decency, modesty, and chastity as nothing else can. Furthermore, no creature on earth is dependent in so many ways and for so long a time after his birth upon the help of others as is a human being. If there were no marriage, millions of children would roam the world as orphans and most would soon die. But marriage unites father and mother in love and both hold out their hands to their beloved children. Marriage is the foundation for all other necessary and beneficial estates. Without marriage, there would be no union of men into nations. Without it, no state would last. Nowhere would there be any permanency. But marriage ties one to families, brings about honest relationships, makes home a dear place, and holds entire races and families together. Finally, they expand into nations. What would the world with its thousandfold miseries, with its selfishness, and with its faithless friendships and associations be like without marriage and its sincere mutual love of spouses with its faithful, loving father and mother, with its tender love of children. Without it, the misery of this world would be inexpressibly greater. Marriage brings a very natural, ardent love into the bitter world and brings to people who at first are often strangers to one another a wonderful inward friendship that shares each other's miseries and joys. It is clear, even reason must recognize and admit that marriage works an inexpressible wholesomeness upon society. Consequently, we also read that even pagan writers praise marriage as the most beneficial of all institutions for the good of humanity. Yet the real dignity of marriage we see correctly in the light of God's word. Now let us hear what today's gospel has to say. Jesus Christ is the son of the living God, come to seek and to save that which was lost. His first 30 years, he lived in unnoticed quiet. Finally, he entered upon his office of Messiah and began to gather about him a group of disciples. At this time, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, probably among the relatives of Mary, the mother of the Lord. Since Christ had just appeared in Galilee, he and his disciples were invited. And what did Christ do? One might think that he who had come to found the kingdom of God, a kingdom of heaven on earth, would be too busy and would have declined this invitation. No, he accepted it and honored this wedding, not only by his gracious presence, but to reveal his glory. He also did his first miracle there. And what was the miracle? Did he heal a sick person? Did he arise someone from the grave? No, since the wedding guest lacked wine, he revealed his glory by miraculously turning water into the most delicious wine. My friends, this most wonderfully revealed the dignity of marriage from God's perspective. We see four points hidden from reason. First, marriage is a holy institution that God himself instituted. Second, it is a state that God himself sustains by his power. Third, it's an institution that, whose necessities God himself provides. And fourth, it is an institution where God wants to reveal himself to men. An unbeliever considers marriage either a burdensome limitation to his roaming, unclean lusts, or at best, he views it, as do honorable heathen, as a beneficial human institution. He sees in marriage nothing holy, nothing divine. He considers it a subject for jokes, and it elicits from him at least a smile if one speaks of holy matrimony. But the word of God discloses that man did not create marriage. 
It is not dependent upon the laws of the different states. It is not a human invention or a mere traditional arbitrary custom. No, from God's word, we see that as soon as the all-wise God had created heaven and earth and the first human beings, he also ordained that the human race is to be propagated by one man and one woman in an indissoluble union until their death. According to God's clear word, the Lord instituted marriage. The Most High Lawgiver says, You shall not commit adultery, Exodus 20.14. And what therefore God has joined together, let not man separate, Matthew 19.6. And so it is that before God, all fleshly union of the unmarried is adultery. God has threatened to punish the sin as well as the breaking of the marriage bond with nothing less than eternal damnation. We read in the letter to the Hebrews, God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous, Hebrews 13.4. In St. Paul's letter to the Ephesians, for you may be sure of this, that anyone who is sexually immoral or impure or is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Oh, what a holy, inviolable ordinance marriage is. And for those who have strayed against God's will, there is the opportunity for repentance and grace in Christ. That it is a divine institution, God has also revealed by having preserved marriage in the entire world until this hour. How many useful laws have been made in the history of the world? However, in time, they have fallen and other laws have taken their place. But marriage has lasted until this hour through the entire history of humanity among the nations of the earth. Many wicked people who have striven to live after their lust have often used their power cunning, and art of persuasion to dissolve the laws of marriage. There have even been lawgivers among those who try to make living together lawful, but these states have either soon fallen of themselves or those who were misled saw such great ruin descending upon them that even the most barbarous nation has always returned again to marriage. As there has been no nation under the sun in which one cannot find traces of a faith in God, so there is no people so uncivilized amongst whom one does not find traces of the knowledge of the dignity of marriage, despite all the abominations and filth in which they live. Tell me, my friends, since we can see that all men have fallen so deeply, since we can see how our society has kicked over the traces and has sought the unrestrained freedom of their lusts and desires, what power so manages the world, even darkest heathenism that the law of marriage could not be completely abolished. Why has no human lawgiver in the long run ever yet succeeded in overriding the marriage law? Why has this law been preserved for all times among all nations despite all the sound and fury of the unclean spirit and his apostles? Is anyone so blind as to think this is blind chance? No. The most high author of this law must himself have most ably provided for its preservation, God has with indelible writing deeply engraved in souls and consciences the very law of keeping marriage holy. Yes, marriages are consummated on earth, but they are made in heaven. Even in the marriage of the godless, God has his ruling hand. For the one, the spouse chosen without God becomes the scourge of God. For the other, a tool driving him to God. Solomon, therefore, says, a prudent wife is from the Lord, Proverbs 19:14. God reveals that marriage is his institution because he is, or he in a faithful and fatherly way, provides for its needs. What Christ, according to our gospel reading, did for the wedding at Cana is an example of what God does for all marriages. 
when your marriage lacks, all they lacked was wine, not something completely necessary, only a means of comfort and cheer. The Lord could not bear to see the bridal pair suffer embarrassment very long, but quickly used this opportunity to reveal His glory by miraculously supplying what they lacked. This is what the Lord always does. In your marriage, if you lack, the Lord will provide it. Millions of even poorer couples enter marriage with such empty hands that they often do not know where they will find bread and fuel the day after their wedding, but do they not all find what they need? Yet, do not the children of the poorest day laborers often bloom like roses considering their frugal and coarse food while the only child of a rich glutton fades away quickly and sickly and pale despite nourishing and elegant food? Must not parents who have reared many children to adulthood confess that according to the proverb, the children did not sit with them, but they with the children? Must they not, like David had, like arrows in the hands of a warrior are the children of one's youth? Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. Psalm 127. Is not this faithful concern for the needs of the household a way by which God honors marriage as his institution? He provides what you need in your marriage and your home. But God still does more. As God went to the wedding at Cana to reveal his glory through a miracle, so he to this very day reveals himself through marriage to all who do not willfully close their eyes to him and his presence. Without mentioning that God has appointed the parents as the natural teachers and providers for their children and that he has arranged to erect a family altar in every house, without mentioning that often the husband has led the wife or the wife the husband or the children the parents to Christ, where would I find the time if I wanted <laughs> sorry, where would I find the time if I wanted to show you what a wonderful school of faith experiences marriage is and how God teaches and trains us how to love our neighbor by loving those in our home? All Christian virtues through the ups and downs, the love, humility, patience, and gentleness. For all who do not stubbornly resist God, find their home and their training ground in the family and in marriage. Far be it that marriage, as some have taught, is a hindrance to the service of God and godliness. No, it has with its joys and sorrows become for thousands a way on which they prospered and learned firsthand the grace of God and the knowledge of Christ or were kept or advanced in it and were a source given by God of blessings in this life and for eternity. See, this is the fourfold honor which Christ or which God has honored and still honors the estate of marriage. He himself instituted it, he has preserved it, he provides for those who enter it, and he makes it a school of love and faith. May we go home and ponder what we have heard today from God's word. May we bring forth fruit in patience and marriage, may it be kept strong and holy among us. And may our marriages be blessed to the glory of God and to our own and our sorry to our and our own children's welfare. May God grant it for the sake of Jesus Christ our Savior. Amen. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. The offering will be collected uh, in the narthex following church. Please rise for the offertory.